When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell. Such an honor to be here for our 47th episode. Hey. I'm your host, Ryan Key. It's a nice odd number, number 47. (laughs) (laughs) I just saw it at the top of the notes and it just came to me. Hey, I'm Nick. Thanks for uh, listening, everyone. Thanks for hosting, you too. Thanks for Star Wars, George Lucas. (laughs) For Star Warsing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Dude, this is the last episode of the year Last episode of 2020 The year that wouldn't stop shitting on us Last episode of our first year The finale of our first year on air Isn't it amazing that we started this podcast And it finally came to fruition It grew to what it is now In this terrible year I know It's ironic I think about it often In a weird way You know, I've thought about it more so recently i'm like it's so simple right now like i actually just have my all my setup i don't really have to set anything up anymore it's like what's it gonna be when like i have to do it from like the back of a tour bus or something yeah it's gonna be awesome we haven't (laughs) considered any of those things at all it's pretty great (laughs) it'll be awesome yeah it'll be slightly different that's it it'll be great i i just was thinking about it the other day in the shower (laughs) (laughs) i was like oh yeah going to go on tour again. I mean, what's going to be the best when this year is over, and we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, is when we three get to travel together to cons and stuff with the podcast. Because I think... <laughs> I don't know why I was just thinking. What movie is it with with uh, with my high level of income and my whatever I'm going to live to be? Oh, uh, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> yeah, right. I was thinking of that in terms of like our connection to people through music and all the people we know, you know, definitely not our high levels of income. Right. Um, <laughs> but I was thinking about how we are really going to have the opportunity, I think, to, to do some of that. I, th- I think we know the right people, you know, to, to put the calls out to say, hey, we want to go to these cons. We want to start. We want to take the pot on the road. And I, I think we're going to have a chance to do that for real, man. So I'm looking forward to that the most. Like go on tour, not in bands, but as Thank the Maker. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Can the world yeah. handle that? That's crazy. <laughs> it's going to be so rad. Like hotel after con watching Star Wars. Like it's just, yeah. it's going to be the best. Yeah. We're going to be like middle schoolers at summer Man. camp. Okay. I got real excited. <laughs> dude, plus being on tour with bands, we're going to be on tour with other band Star Wars nerd people that will be, will actually be able to podcast with in person. You know, and I just think it's going to be fun to be like, oh, yeah, we're in London right now with so-and-so and my friend from this band that I just met on tour where now we're best Star Wars buds. Yeah. He or she's on the podcast also. You know what I mean? It, yeah. It'll just, it'll be cool. I've only been to one uh, one con in like a guest. I, I was like playing some songs at the thing um, at Wales Comic Con. And I can just say that everything you're saying is totally true. After the show, everyone is in the hotel bar hanging and eating and drinking and getting to know each other. And like the vibe was so so killer and just the the people you got to meet from different shows and different voice actors and and wrestlers and all the different people (laughs) that go to those things it was just such a vibe and it was really community feeling like 
Oh, I'm, I'm so, sure so when good. we get to start going to them and be like, hey, dude, would you want to be on the podcast sometime? It's just going to be a snowball for sure. So yeah. exciting stuff. I mean, truly the last Star Wars celebration was heaven. Truly heaven. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I want to live there. Yeah. Well, imagine us getting to go to that. Yeah. Uh, I've been corrected. I said us three. Um, Drew is coming with us. Producer Drew is coming. <laughs> so it's four. So so two people per bed. Yep. <laughs> yeah, like middle school summer camp. It's the most economical, really. It makes sense. Yeah. I'm pumped. God, it's going to be sick. <laughs> so to wrap up this year, we're going to talk about some of our favorite bits and some of the listeners' favorite bits and whatnot later, probably in the after show thing. But before then, we're going to wrap it up since this was the year of The Mandalorian fully blossoming, I feel like. We're going to talk about Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian, season two, the this time single episode kind of behind the scenes documentary came out on December 25th. Great Christmas present. It was, but were you a little bummed that it was just one? Yeah, I was of course. I won, sure. I won eight episodes again, but hmm. it was still sweet. Season one was the most immersive, cool, you know, behind the scenes thing. W- would you say that probably Empire of Dreams is like the next most in-depth, like long thing that you yeah. can watch like that? So, I think so I'm bummed. Do you think that this was because there wasn't much to offer or do you think this was a post-COVID thing? Because they, they definitely went up to the wire of like sets were getting shut down and we were Mm -hmm. hearing at that time Mandalorian was like just wrapping up. So they definitely finished filming. I want to say just as everything was starting to happen in in March, I want to say. So I wonder if they just couldn't get everyone together to do eight episodes. Well, you think season one gallery season one, the round table stuff was for sure shot afterwards. Right. So that could have been an issue definitely, but everything else was shot. What, you know, whatever, crew they have there that that shoots all the b-roll i'm sure they shot the same amount of stuff that that they had for season one you know as far as content also though how long they they were 20 minutes right season one yeah so Mm -hmm. technically it was three right three episodes of that because it was an hour and four minutes long yeah they spent about i would say like on average like eight to ten minutes per episode yeah yeah uh, or per chapter i should say right they also had so much to just introduce us to in that first season yeah which that's true we didn't need to be reintroduced to in this so they had mm-hmm. to get pretty creative to figure out how to pull eight episodes out of it they could have done the whole format again but i don't know i no. don't know man i think for guys like us though well yeah give it I, to us I, yeah i would have watched just whatever like <laughs> show me the entire ahsoka fight sequence being choreographed from one to zero for a half hour and that's it straight that only yeah i'm gonna watch that so i don't know yeah i think the content was there just for whatever reason they chose not yeah. to do it dude now that you say that they could have done instead of doing per sort of topic like score technology mm-hmm. blah 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 they could have done per chapter yeah that's true yeah behind the scenes for each episode but then we would have been disappointed even more disappointed not seeing what we all wanted to see from chapter 16. <laughs> I was hoping we were yeah. going to get some in-depth into the Skrillex. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah. No music I, mentions, I, was, huh? I know, nothing. No score at all. I was hoping <laughs> that that was going to be a thing again. But Well, let's, uh, let's talk about some of our favorite stuff. This isn't going to be a standard format because it's just not a standard format thing that we're talking about here. So we'll do a little Den of Antiquities, even though this whole thing is essentially Den of Antiquities. And... We'll get to some I Love You, I Knows later, but let's just talk about kind of some of the stuff that stuck out to us. Nick put down a bunch of notes, I would say all of which we agree with here. So I'll kind of just run down these and we'll go more in depth on the stuff that we're more excited about. And that'll be our discussion today. Let's go. Right off the top, I think it's cool to note the sort of upgrades from season one 
like the volume. We mentioned this before, but they made the volume, the uh, the stagecraft LED wall system that they shot everything on. They enlarged it for this. They went from, what was it, 75 feet wide or long last time? Mm-hmm. Another 25 feet. So this is 100 feet wide, 22 feet tall, all new software for color management. And they seem to be pretty stoked on how enhanced it was color-wise. One thing I noticed, they talked about how they were able to shoot a lot darker scenes. Oh, yeah. And that had, that had to do with, could tell for sure. with the ILM advancement in, in, the, in the lighting and color management. They were able to, like the chapter nine, walking through the alleyways and all the graffiti and stuff, which is another point I'm sure we'll get to. The graffiti was cool. It was super dark. You know, I mean, they were shooting indoors dark, you know, in the volume. And uh, they mentioned how that capability was enhanced. Yeah, it was really cool. You have to imagine also just, you know, another 25 feet of light wall (laughs) gives you a lot regardless. You know what I mean? Even without that new color management stuff. When I was rewatching it and I had the the captions on, I was like, wait, did he just say it was 100 feet long and 22 feet tall? Because in my head, I feel like that's not that big. So it was even smaller in the first one. Yeah. In the first season. So this still doesn't seem like that massive to me, but I mean. But dude, think about like your house. Your house is like, it's not a ranch. It's like a, I don't know, a bungalow. What do you call No, What do you call that shit? It's like a Smurf hut. <laughs> your house is more square. So your house is probably what? 20, 30 feet wide, 20 feet wide, right? Yeah. I guess I kind of just don't have a concept of feet. <laughs> I know I'm not six feet tall. Think about five times as wide <laughs> as your house. Well, I know for a fact the room that I'm sitting in recording this podcast is 11 feet wide and that my ceilings are nine feet high. So so it's big. More than double the ceiling height. That's, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. high. Yeah, I have no concept of space. <laughs> Nick thinks in meters and um, you know, yeah. metrics, so it's, it's tough, right? They also, this was cool. They actually had their creature shop on location. So where they were making all of, doing all the makeup stuff, creating the masks, you know, like the Quarren and all, all the different kind of species, they're doing that on site which is huge, assuming that being so far away from Lucasfilm and ILM, that kind of group of, of makers, it was probably tough for season one coming all the way down to LA because they shot the whole thing in the LA area. So mm-hmm. this seemed to be big for them. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, according to the, the footage, Filoni and Favreau were there all the time. So it must be good for if someone had a question or whatever, they could bounce into the, the creature shop or vice versa. They could you know run to the set and be like, we have a question or does this look good or what do you want? So just probably sped things up as far as that goes. Speaking of speeding things up though, the opposite actually, slowing things down. We talked a little bit about when production probably came to a halt, even though they started shooting December 2019, right? Mm -hmm. They weren't quite done when the pandemic really started to hit. So they ended up having to do some stuff amidst the pandemic. And Nick noted that there were a handful of people on set with masks. Not everyone, though. So it's interesting to think about how they pulled that off because they didn't actually talk about it directly. No, specifically, they were filming something like in the forest in the Ahsoka episode, and maybe half of the people on screen had masks on and the other half didn't. And I was just thinking, I'm like, well, that's weird for some people to be wearing them and some not. But also then I thought maybe this isn't even a COVID thing. And that whole set was kind of pretty heavily hazy. I remember Filoni saying at like the table read for that episode that there needed to be like, you know, physical haze and particles in the air. So maybe some people just wore masks because of that. Mm. There also was a couple people, a couple more people this season wearing cowboy hats. We had Brendan Wayne. Holy Filoni. We had Tamara Morrison, Latif Crowder. It's a trend. <laughs> what has Filoni done here? Holy Filoni! <laughs> We've like 
tripled the amount of cowboy hats on set. I back it. <laughs> it's a western. Yeah, that's set true. Set in space. It's on brand. And <laughs> it's also kind of samurai, but you know who also loves to wear cowboy hats? Some Japanese people love to wear cowboy hats. Yeah. I go there a lot, and so I, I, I've i done valid research on this topic. <laughs> yeah. Cowboy hats belong on this set. I like the idea of someone just being like, look at Dave. He looks so good. <laughs> Man, does he got to pull that off like Dave? <laughs> I want pull one. This off. <laughs> I loved this next thing. I loved it. Probably my favorite part of the whole show uh, was seeing John Leguizamo try out the different voices. When not, mm-hmm. And by the way, not even really in the episode, try out different voices, like multiple different things yeah. for Gore Koresh, his character. He's sitting there in a, in a vocal booth with Pedro Pascal and they're doing like a basic read through. And it's very vanilla when you first get into the scene, right? He's very much yeah. like kind of fumbling through the lines a little bit. And you think, oh, this is cool. It's just like a table read or whatever they're doing a thing. But I don't know if you're familiar out there with John Leguizamo and, and his work. I mean, he's a very famous actor, but he's also kind of a niche famous actor, you know? So if you don't know yeah, who he yeah. is, or, he's one of those actors that if, if I was like, no, he was, he was this in this, you'd be like, oh shit, no way. Yeah, He's amazing. So he's sitting there and Favreau, director, comes in and says, look, I want this to be like crime lord, you know, the feeling of like you're in this den of kind of sin and crime or whatever, however he puts it. Do that, but without being Don Corleone. Do it without being the godfather. Yeah. He's like, think Don Corleone, but don't But don't do be it. Don Corleone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it goes from the kind of fumbly read through immediately to like, it was almost like, okay, okay. He's thinking for a second. Okay. okay. All right. All right. And he just, he just rips it. He just nails just it. gives the performance. Like he just jumps into the full character of Gore Koresh right there on the spot. And it, it was just an amazing moment to watch an actor and that's at the height of their craft like him. You know, he's just, he's such an incredible talent. And like there, that was just like right there. Like you saw his process live on TV. It was wild. He's just like, let me try, let me try something. Hold on. And then it would just, he just transformed his body and his voice. And it was yeah. amazing. It was amazing. It's so interesting to me their setup, how they're reading the lines, because he's he's right next to Pedro Pascal, and they're using a boom mic just like they would on set. So they're not yeah. in front of like a studio mic, right? Which I feel like you see a lot probably for like cartoons and stuff like that. They're in a booth, like they're tracking vocals on an album or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. But here they're sitting down like they would be, or like they are in the episode, and they're moving the boom back and forth as they're speaking, just like they would in the room. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's so funny. They're in like fully just in plain clothes, just a couple of dudes talking. But like you said, they flip the switch on. And especially with Favreau, they're like geeking out. He's, yeah. it's not, dude, it sounds like us. Like if we were in the room, we're like, no, do it kind of like, no, more like Tom Cruise and so-and-so. Yeah. <laughs> and then they just like, nail it, dude. It's so sweet to watch. Thank the maker. A Top Gun podcast. <laughs> yeah, you you could see Favreau like after they they cut to him right after like Osama reads those few lines and he's just like a kid in a candy store. He's Huge like, grin. Yes, yeah. that's exactly what I wanted. You know, super cool. And with the boom thing, I'm not sure you know down the notes here like how much we get into this, but uh, one thing that came up quite a bit in the gallery this season was um, if you couldn't do it in in a practical setting don't do it if that camera couldn't be out in the water on a crane because you can't have a crane in the water we're not using a crane because that Mm -hmm. let's shoot this like we're out in the water to make it believable so i mean i don't know i don't know if i'm reaching here but putting a boom in front of them like yo if we were on the soundstage and you were sitting there ringside at this fight you would be mic'd with a boom yeah they also by the way 
could be mic'd, lav mic'd up close on their clothes for, for direct miking, like they would be on set also. And then the boom gives kind of that room sound of their voices. And they mix it. And yeah. that all helps the sound engineer mix it in. So that's, if, if they were really getting the actual to picture lines in that scene we saw, I would bet they were mic'd like lav mics up, up close, you know? And then the, the boom was just for ambience and like room sound. Yeah. But either way, very cool. It goes back to all that cool ILM, Star Wars practical effects and practical sounds and practical camera work. It's so super cool. I just like seeing actual quote unquote producing happen. Mm-hmm. Favreau's just in the doorway and he's like, try it this way, try it that way. Yep. Same thing when we're making records or whatever, you know? It's yeah. like, yep. you, you just get like, you have someone see you from a different perspective and what you're doing, not wrong, but gives you the one note that makes it 10% better to make it perfect. And that's exactly yep. what Favreau said. And he got it right away. Laguizamo got it right away. Yeah. Well, dude, the best quote about that, I want to say it's from one of the dudes who plays Mando in the suit, one of the stunt dudes, mm-hmm. talks about, I think it was one of the dudes wearing a cowboy hat. They both were. You're going to have to, <laughs> was it John Wayne's grandkid? Yes, I think, think okay. so. He was talking about how Favreau is the kind of director that doesn't get caught up in the minutia of the moment. He's looking at everything you know, long story arc scale. Yep. And he lets the actors get caught up in the minutia of the moment mm-hmm. because that's that's where they are as characters, right? So he can step back and really put it all in like the larger context. Yeah. Ryan, you said like Wazamo is like one of those actors where you're like, people probably don't even know his name, but they've seen him before. What What's like one movie you would say? I know what mine is and it's ridiculous. You're putting <laughs> me on the spot now to think about it. Nick, what's yours? Super Mario Brothers. He played Luigi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The most recent one that pops in my head is the John Wick trilogy. Yeah. Uh, but that's not that's not like where I would. I love that Mario Brothers movie for everything that it is. It's so bizarre and weird and dark. My vision of him is it's just like perpetually stuck in the nineties. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean his he's his like big thing from then and that is Moulin Rouge. Mm. My answer to your question, Nick, is also probably a a, a film that like <laughs> is also kind of like off the beaten path and independent, and people are like, yeah, no, I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. It's his role. It's just, uh, he's so unreal. Is uh, Summer of Sam? Yeah, I've never seen that. It's kind. I I don't know if the story of the cast members is true or if it's like alternative. You know, and it, what would what, what's the word that revisionist history? Revisionist history. Uh, like the peripheral of the story is the son of Sam, but there's a group of characters in the middle of the story that don't have anything to do with him, kind of, you know? Um, and and Leguizamo's like the lead in the movie, and it's real good if you've never seen it. Going back to like the director vibes and like in the moment kind of getting the feel for things and that dynamic between director and actor, all the stuff with Rosario Dawson trying to like really settle into the Ahsoka stuff and her movements and like all of her mannerisms, everything. I loved watching Filoni work with her yeah. and seeing her enthusiasm and his enthusiasm, you know, it was just like magical, dude. I felt like he had tears in his eyes at multiple points in when he was being interviewed. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong, but <laughs> you got to watch that movie, by the way, that I just brought up. It's a Spike Lee joint. It's, it's so Son good. of Sam? Yeah, Summer of Sam. Oh, Summer of Sam, yeah. I forgot it was a Spike Lee movie. Oh, nice. Or a Spike Lee joint, as, we're, as they yeah. say. And it was really interesting to to learn. We, we found this out, I don't know, weeks ago. The photo of Lucas holding the child was yeah. from yeah. December of 2019 on set because he was there to see Ahsoka finally come to life in live action. You know, we're now seeing all like these awesome pictures of him laughing with Rosario Dawson. And it's just like, it's hard to describe in sufficient terms. It was just like magic, dude. 
Like the He's dude, your great, great, great grandfather. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so sweet. You know, thinking about, we all, we all know that he wasn't exactly stoked on the first two sequels. You know, he seems to be kind of upset about the way the stories didn't unfold. I mean, they tossed out his scripts straight up. You know what I mean? So I've been wondering if he was ever going to enjoy anything new made in Star Wars. And here he is, just like all smiles, there with his successor, essentially, his Padawan, Dave Filoni, seeing Ahsoka come to life, and it was amazing. I loved it. Lacey Gillerin from the Resistance Broadcast, former guest of our show, posted a side-by-side picture of, like, a screenshot of Favreau taking a picture of George Lucas holding the baby, and then the actual picture he took, which is, like, so out of focus and bad. I'm like, this dude created the volume and can't figure out how to, like, actually focus an iPhone. (laughs) Like he was in the back of a Jeep, like, it was off-roading while he was taking the picture. It's so funny. I'm like, oh, so we got to see the actual crappy photo getting taken yeah dude have you wondered if he took it like shook it on purpose to make it look a little crappy to like you know what i mean could be can we be like uh breaking news journalists and be the first podcast or news outlet to find those scripts and report on them i would love to (laughs) that'd be very good some of it is apparently leaked but not all of it yeah that's the stuff that went into they're not like out there right i mean it's not like it's just treatments also i don't think he full-on wrote uh, yeah screenplays all i remember is it was all about like midichlorians and like about the uh the will Microbiobial world. The wills, yeah. He wanted to go like sub midichlorians and talk about that stuff. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Oh, this dude, this is genius. Staying on the director thing, talking about Favreau having the 30,000 foot view of the story and who's who in the moment. He's talking with the stunt coordinator, making sure in that the the attack on what's the ship called when the uh, the night owls first show up the mission when they first... Um, yeah, I think it's just a freighter. Yeah, they get the men in black, you know, mm-hmm. from Lost. They're charging down the hallway. Din has come along with them on this mission, but he's not part of their crew. So he's mm-hmm. emphasizing when they all go, the night owls go together, but Din is kind of delayed because he's not part of their unit. He's his own person. He's just kind of along for the ride. He's got other stuff on his mind, blah, blah, blah. And all that stuff is like so smart. It's great character intuition. And he, he said something about shooting. When they start shooting, he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Straight up. Like, they, they are intuitively in shooting together, but he's not part of their crew. In sync, yeah. And you have to really think about the character instead of, oh, this will look cool. Okay, everybody, three, two, one, charge. Yeah. No, you have to think about who these people are and what that means in this moment. Yeah, he's a total lone wolf, and they're a legitimate crew. So, of course. Yeah. And that's, again, like what you said, the whole point of this. It's like, that's such a little nuance that we didn't notice while we were watching the episode, but seeing the behind the scenes, that comment is just unbelievable. Like that he sees those things. It's so cool. Mm -hmm. And another thing too, like talking about directors still, I mean, Carl Weathers definitely had like the best, like overall action, I want to say like episode. And they made it a point in, in this gallery episode to show that he has experience in the action genre whether it's acting or directing or anything like that. And he was like the perfect guy to understand the physicality of that whole episode, which I thought was really cool. I wouldn't have thought about that at all. It's just the fact that he's an action star. I'm sure he directed some of the things he's been in before. Former professional athlete as well. He said, what what did he play? I don't know. Football? He's a big ass dude. I can't unsee the gif of his arm and Arnold's arm. Just You you son of a bitch. Yo, we didn't mention this on the breakdown of, of that chapter, but they do that in the Mandalorian. 
Carl Weathers and Din do that. They do the the Arnold and him thing? Not exactly that, but it's the like more like Oh, like the Viking Lord one. Or the Rings one. The like a thumb up handshake thing. Yeah, they grab the wrist. Yeah, yeah, like grabbing right, yeah. each other's yeah. forearm, but they focus on it. That's totally, and he directed that episode. He totally right. did that on purpose. <laughs> Gotta be, dude. Dude, Gotta he be. played professional football for the Oakland Raiders. Oh, nice. Oh, whoa. Beast. What's the matter? CIA gets you pushing too many pencils? <laughs> <laughs> Think the Maker, a Predator podcast. Yeah, Carl Weathers nailed it, dude. I I was like just cautiously excited about the idea of him directing because you know he's an actor some actors can direct some can't direct as well but he nailed it yeah i was stoked but you know who doesn't have much directing experience with live action either but also killed it but was also like scared to death that he might not kill it our boy filoni was like yeah scared to even do the ahsoka thing in season one because he was afraid to mess it up yeah which I, i love well, that's good that he's he's honest, but I mean, there's two ways to do that and totally depends on your personality and you hear him talk and you know what kind of personality he has. So he's not going to be the type of person to be like, I don't know what I'm doing, but fake it till you make it. It's more like, nah, I'm going to learn a little bit. And then when I finally do it, I'm going to knock it out of the park. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Like fully aware of the stakes. Shows you how much he just reveres the character and, yeah. and respects it. It's It's awesome to watch. I mean, overall, I think you see Favreau and Filoni talking numerous times basically about what the fans are going to think. And that's insane. That's a very slippery yeah. slope because not everyone wants the same thing. And we, we obviously know that from being Star Wars fans. Not everyone wants the same kind of Star Wars, but they're trying. They're definitely trying to appease a lot of people all at once. And it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But I mean, it's 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 slippery slope. Because they, de- they definitely pay attention. Did you guys get the same vibe from them? Like, they're clearly fans. There was, like, not a single moment anywhere where I thought, oh, they're in executive mode right now. They're in, like, think about the shareholders mode. Yeah. Like, when they were talking about whether or not <laughs> to use the word McClunky, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> they were laughing about it as fans. They were thinking about it as creators. And, like, making the joke in the moment and, like, Clearly, they're also just like bros. They're so much on the same wavelength and just having fun with each other. Just like mm-hmm. the meme that we posted of the kids playing with the Star Wars toys from from the 80s, you know? It's like <laughs> yeah. fully them. Yeah. And I don't think ever for a second they're like, well, what's this going to mean for the bottom line? Yeah. They're thinking about fans, but they're thinking about fans as fans. Mm-hmm. And that's the big difference. There's two instances here where I feel like Favreau is messing with Filoni and Filoni is like not even at all interested in being messed with. And that's one of them <laughs> yeah. where Favreau's like, what if, uh, you know, when he shoots out the, the lamppost, he says McClunky and Favreau and Filoni's like, so you want Mando to say McClunky? And then they both just start <laughs> laughing. I'm like, all right, all right. But I, I'm like, Favreau is going to be a couple of steps behind Filoni as far as like knowledge yeah, yeah. and what's cool to do. So I'm like, was he really messing with them? Was he messing like messing with them like seven out of 10, you know, like not yeah. fully messing with them. There was some sort of like if Filoni was like, yeah, let's do it. They would have just done it. Yeah. Like, was it that close? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Going back to Filoni, though, with with Ahsoka talking about like stuff that only a fan would really insist on the work on the lightsabers mm-hmm. because they they use the light from the lightsabers as actual practical lights on camera you know how when when she draws them especially they're kind of they're horizontal right in front of her face the way they light her face and everything was something they really wanted to pull off and use it use it as an artistic piece as much as a prop right so in order to do that they couldn't just be the hasbro ones off the shelf they had to be super bright 
like production lights. But to do that, it was an engineering feat, like an electronic project. And they kept getting bigger, they said, because they had to fit the battery and all the crap and the transmitter so they could control them remotely with the volume and all that kind of stuff. And Filoni was like, no, they have to be smaller. They have to look right in her hands. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's that's like fan stuff. That's like, uh, no, actually, uh, they're only uh, 12.4 inches long like, yeah. <laughs> in the best way. Yeah, people don't. I mean, just when it goes back to this whole people commenting on her leku being shorter, which we get more confirmation that it was all fully because of practicality. People are going to notice that stuff. And yeah. whether or not they're reasonable or depending on how reasonable, I should say, like they have to keep these things in mind. I feel like, you know, like like straight up. I mean, they might have been massive lightsaber hilts and Filoni was just like, this is too noticeable. We can't do this. Yeah. And they figured it out. You know, it's like one of those things. It's like George Bluth talking to his son, like, no, nope, got to say no. It's going to be hard to say no, but he's just going to come back and do something better next time. <laughs> I think Filoni and other people went out of their way a bunch to really focus on Rosario as Ahsoka and let people know that she did the research. She cared. She was a good actress. Like, you know, I think for the most part, people are stoked on her performance. Of course, there's going to be detractors, but I think they went out of their way to show that she cares and they were stoked and it, everything went smoothly with her. I think they focused on pulling it off as well as they possibly could because number one, Filoni felt, clearly felt like everything was on the line and they cared on that level. And then I think they, they took time. They, they took care to make sure that that was communicated in this documentary so we all understand that this was done with love mm-hmm. and with care and not just like, oh, yeah, bring in that character that people like and give us your money. Yeah. Like talking about the makeup designer walking the, the fine line between her being human and realistic and something that would satisfy fans who know this super brightly colored cartoon character with orange skin. I mean, that was on my mind before she came to screen, how they were going to do that, whether or not she was going to look like a fucking pumpkin, (laughs) but they, they nailed it. Or the president or the, yeah. Yeah. Both of which would have been, uh, tear inducing in the wrong way. (laughs) Did you notice how, and I thought about this too, how they would make the white markings on her face consistent. Did you see how they airbrushed that on? It was just like a palette, right? Like a mask basically with like a stencil. Like a molded mask of her face as a stencil and put it straight on, spray that shit. And perfect. Pretty lo-fi, I feel like. You know, I thought for some reason there'd be like something crazier. <laughs> Have you ever seen in other things, especially even like really complex makeup, how they're always, everything I've seen in the past, they're always going from photo reference, which I'm, obviously they had on this too, but there was like no messing around. Like those markings are in these places on her face. Yeah. That shit's yeah. getting stenciled on exactly And the they same. have to be exactly that. So sweet. Such like a, like you said, low-tech mm-hmm. solution, but perfect. Another talking about another director trying to nail something that they care about so much and they they want to do justice was Robert Rodriguez with Boba Fett. Loved his all of his stuff in, in the gallery. It was great. And it was like so genuine because Boba Fett, he said, has been his favorite character since before Empire. You know, when Boba Fett kind of came out as, remember he was like on the streets for events and stuff like that as this like no-name character that people didn't even know yet for 1977's Star Wars. And then he showed up Robert Rodriguez knew him from those days, so grew up his whole life just like, God, who is this guy? I want to hear more about this guy. And then he gets to bring him back. You know what I mean? Can you imagine, dude? Yeah. Like like I said to Ashley, it's like me joining Metallica, dude. It's like insane, <laughs> you know? I loved how he, two things, how he 
staged the entire scene in the back in his backyard with his kids wearing Star Wars <laughs> yeah, so cool. costumes and using action figures to like yeah. show what he wanted to do. It's just a student of film, you know what I mean? Like yeah. Yeah. making student films in his backyard still, like how 40, <laughs> 30 years into his career or whatever. Um, but also he talked about how he didn't want to he didn't want to make it the episode thinking that we'd get to see Boba again. Yeah. He totally. wanted to make this episode with the intent that for all he knew, this could be the last time we ever see him. It's one and only chance. So everything he's got, we're bringing it out right now. And it was so cool to watch him. I mean, you just talked about it, fan, you know, Favreau and Filoni making this stuff as fans. And we could, I mean, dude could go as far as to talk about the sequels and everybody's issues with them. Like you think Abrams and, and, Ryan Johnson aren't massive fans. Like, of course they are. Yeah. They, they all, all these people are. And it's so cool to watch them making this for us through their eyes and, and, you know, their childhood Star Wars eyes. And I definitely saw that on, on Rodriguez's face. Like he, his little kid, inner kid, you know, was just beaming while he was talking about yeah. uh, making this episode. All that being said, how crazy is it that he was not the original director for that episode? Yeah. yeah. Like, and now like, he's just in universe. He's like, <laughs> yeah. gonna, they're going to use him for more stuff. It's yeah, awesome. Yeah. That's, it's so wild to me what could have been because this clearly was like the most perfect director to bring Boba back. So how did someone else get the job first? Real crazy. Yeah. And then on the actor side, Tamora Morrison talking about the honor of bringing back Boba and becoming the son of the original character that, that he played. He seems just as thrilled, like everybody on set. Oh, yeah, dude. You know, nobody's just, nobody's clocking in there. Yeah. You know, everyone is fully invested, and it's so heartening. Beaming. All of them in these interviews, they're just ear-to-ear smiles, like yeah. talking about what they're making and what they're doing and the other people they're working with and every aspect of it. They're, and it's funny because a film set is a nightmare yeah. as far as people's bad attitudes, okay? Like, yeah. No one is fun to be around on a, fun, on a on a film set. Like we, I want to imagine it's a little different because it's Star Wars, but we don't get to see like the third AD flipping out on whatever PA <laughs> yeah. lost Favreau's walkie-talkie. Like, <laughs> you know, set it down at craft services and forgot to bring it over. And dude, the worst things that are said to human beings are said on film sets <laughs> yeah. from from like people higher up than you you know so we don't get to see that obviously but it it, it is amazing how every person you see in these interviews is it they're just as i said beaming like it's you feel like uh i want to work there you know yeah, yeah. super cool it's got to be so much like uh, whether it's budgetary or just an overall vibe from everyone it's got to be like you know bringing it to like a being in a band sense it's got to be like the the big upgrade from playing like the shot venue to playing like an arena or something where yeah. it's just like you have everything you need all the you know craft services are great like <laughs> everything is top notch so you just feel better you feel like important i guess would be the best way to do it be like oh yeah this is why i want to be an actor or why i want to be a director is yeah. to be at this point and it's just got to you know reflect there was one thing the the wardrobe uh, coordinator wardrobe designer shauna Tripsick just says everyone's attitude changes once they put on their Star Wars clothes, you know, put on their wardrobe. Yeah. They stand up a little straighter. They're happier. Yep. It's like, yeah, that's amazing. It makes acting probably easier to just be like, oh, man, I put the Boba Fett armor on and I'm actually Boba Fett now. I don't have to do anything but be Boba Fett. This is great. 
I think too, you talking about everything being what you need it to be, you know, once mm-hmm. you graduate to this class and it's been a while since we've made a lot of like music reference. Well, we did actually tonight we've, we've done a couple, right? We talked about going on tour and, um, but think about making a record, you know, like the stuff I'm doing right now, my, my own stuff. I, I like, I'm really into orchestrating the, the music I'm making, but that said, sorry, bud, you don't get to just hire an orchestra, right? <laughs> to, to play on my yeah. songs I'm making in my studio, my, my home bedroom studio. Right. But you show up on set there and you just are like, whatever your wildest idea is, you say, Hey, this, and they go, okay, let's, we'll figure out how to, we'll figure out how to do that for you. You know, like I want a boat that has water under it, but we can't shoot in the water, but it needs to have water in the middle of it. And then it needs to look real. Like we're out on a like raging sea and they're like, yeah, okay, we'll build a boat. Let's just do that. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I, I can't imagine how cool it is to be on whatever level you were on before, even as a successful filmmaker to then walk into a Star Wars project. It's gotta be mind blowing. Well, let's, again, I know all of these are probably Den of Antiquities stuff, but really let's get into the Easter eggs, the deep, deep cuts. Here we go. For over a thousand generations. It is the dark side. It's a Calicori. A Sith Wayfinder. Dark science. Cloning. Secrets only the Sith knew. Nick, you still want to take the wheel on this one? I would like to. Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel. (laughs) Nicky. Got the beard. Nicky, take the wheel. (laughs) I'm going to start off with my favorite Easter egg of this whole thing because it's so nerdy from our boy Filoni. He's mentioning the inside of the Slave One and how chapter 15, we see the inside of the Slave One for the first time. We see how that like gyroscopic movement where the passengers are just stays level all the time, no matter how Boba or Django are flying it. So we see that for the first time. And Filoni just says to Favreau, Spinning is a good trick and then just does like, <laughs> yes. like, like he's on the office. He looks into the camera because he knows all of us nerds are going to be like, yeah. oh, yeah, Anakin says that in The Phantom Menace. So <laughs> yeah. he's just such a <laughs> total nerd. So funny. He, I'm pretty sure <laughs> he does like cuts. a weird nerdy chuckle there too. He seemed, he seemed proud of himself, honestly, for that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I also love that they actually answered our question, our confusion from the episode that we talked about it, mm-hmm. how when they launch the pilots on their back, yep. the pilot is the only one on their back and the whole passenger like cargo area, I guess is the thing that rotates yep. and they, they show the, the graphic from the side, the cut, you know, the, uh, what do you call it? The cutaway, mm-hmm. right? Is that what you call it? The cross section? Cross section. Yeah. That's it. You're smart. <laughs> and I guess Ryan church maybe is the concept artist that did that or he posted it at least. It's so sweet, dude. Yeah. It's so cool. I'm such a nerd for cross sections. Like, you know, I have the book, you know, fabulous cross sections or whatever it's called <laughs> of all the star Wars ships. And it's like, it's the best. So that just like, that really got me geeked out. <laughs> so at the top of the show, I thought something was very interesting because it's something I knew in my head based off of, again, action figures. I think the like secret name for the Mandalorian Black Series was Huckleberry when they didn't want anyone to know what it was. Everyone was like, Huckleberry Black Series coming soon to Target, whatever. Like when people were like really looking for like yeah. skews and stuff like that. So the working title or whatever you want to call it for the Mandalorian is Huckleberry because right at the top of this show, they say Huckleberry season two. Yeah. Um, welcome back to Huckleberry. Yeah. Pretty cool. I went back and looked and found articles from 2018 leaks project Huckleberry. Mm-hmm. People were speculating, is this episode nine? You know, what is it? And here we go. Yeah. Confirmation. 
one thing that I, you know, I did a little bit of tiny bit of Wikipedia-ing because of this artist, but they show Favreau and his son doing some of that street graffiti, but they uh, actually brought in an artist named David Cho. He's from Los Angeles, and (laughs) this stings a lot. Before we started recording, we were talking about Bitcoin and Facebook and stuff like that. Fun fact about David Cho, Mark Zuckerberg brought him in years and years ago before Facebook was like, and I like had their IPO. And uh, Zuckerberg had David Cho do some murals at the Facebook offices. Paid him in stock. (laughs) Paid him in stock. So as of the 2012, like Facebook IPO, the stock that Zuckerberg gave David Cho was worth $200 million. Son of a... (laughs) That was in 2012? 2012. When it went public, it was about $80 a share, and it's at 260 something now. (laughs) Oh, my God. So I stumbled across that that made me be like, oh, that guy won. So he's got $600 million (laughs) in Facebook stock. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, For a graffiti painting. Swing by the office to spray paint some stuff if you have a minute. (laughs) If you're not on your island that you own. If there's anyone out there who needs us to paint anything (laughs) for a couple shares, just I won't paint any dicks, I promise. Uh, Speaking of painting, so of course, like they had, like I said, Favreau and and, uh, his son did a bunch. But of course, you see Filoni kind of like in the back of one of the shots, putting like Ahsoka's face markings on the wall. I don't I never I don't think anyone ever saw that like on screen. But of course, you see him doing that just freehand. He's He's a bit of an artist himself. He definitely like draws some very early like concept stuff. You could see it on his Instagram. Yeah. They even show in this the first sketch of Ahsoka and it was a, a Filoni sketch. It was just like a pen on like, like a notebook, you know, lined paper yeah. with Ahsoka with like her leku out with a, with a hood on. So sweet. And speaking of art, we got our boy, Doug Chang. How cool is Doug Chang? What a, what a guy. I love Doug Chang, dude. What a, just like a calm, cool guy. I told you guys that I saw him, his, his concept art demo at celebration. Oh no. Where he talked about how he, he creates a character, how he creates a droid or something from scratch in procreate. He uses procreate. That's it. Yeah. Sweetest dude ever. I walked in the room. He was setting up at the table. Like anyone who'd be like, uh, let me show you my, uh, my presentation on my invention of a, it's a lettuce chopper. Like you could have been just anybody like at a convention. Yeah. And I walked by, I was like, what's up, Doug? And he goes, Oh, Hey, how you doing there, bud? You know, just like <laughs> so sweet. The coolest dude ever. Yeah, he really does just seem like a, he's very like calm and the word sweet. He seems like a sweet dude. Gentle. Yeah, gentle guy. So happy he's in charge of of all this concept art and all that type of stuff. So they were talking about what the Crate Dragon needed to look like with Favreau and Filoni. One cool thing, I, I like that this idea came from, it seemed like it came from Doug Chang, but he said, how about the older the dragon gets, it grows more limbs. Yeah. So I like that, you know, he has to go through a process of what he's about to draw and like have some sort of uh, overall concept, but just ideas that he could create visually. So that seems like they went with that idea. We just can't see the limbs because they're they're always under the sand. Jaws style. Yeah. Yeah. They mentioned Jaws. Basically, what you don't see makes it scarier. And at first, the, the the concept for it was 150 feet, which per this episode, I have which no Nick con- has no concept. I have of. no concept of size. I don't know if 150 feet is big or not. Um, <laughs> but with feedback from Favreau, the final length wound up being about 600 feet, which that sounds big. That's real big. Yeah, that sounds big. That's that's. Uh, is that like a stadium? What do you guys think? Is that like a baseball field? Well, wait, no. Okay, wait. I'm thinking now. A, a, it's 200 yards. A football field is 100 yards, and then an end zone is 10 yards or 10 feet each. Either way, I think just not the end zones, just the middle part is 100 yards and a yard is three feet. 
So it's two football fields. Oh, yeah, that's big. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Thanks yeah. for doing that. <laughs> I did two semesters of college once. <laughs> I like to imagine in their 3D rendering program or whatever, they're just grabbing the corner and just dragging to scale. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, how about how about now? Does it look big enough? Dude, one thing also about the Crate Dragon that I love because I'm such a st- stubborn asshole, like pedantic science head, I love that they actually thought about how this animal could move through solid ground. Oh, yeah, that was cool. Instead of just like, yeah. oh, this is going to go through. The idea is that through like something sonic, like a low frequency sound or something, it's just like quaking the sand to liquid, essentially, mm-hmm. to allow him to swim through. Think about like the guttural sound that would come out of something 600 feet long. I could, I can get behind that on a science level. Yeah, that's cool. The space needle is 605 feet. By the way, Drew yeah. just dropped that knowledge. So the crate dragon is the size of the space needle. That's the info I need. If you've <laughs> learned you anything about me, I have no concept of size. Thanks, Drew. <laughs> One interesting thing, which I think shows you how voice acting works with a lot of the animation, is you know we we haven't mentioned Katie Sackoff and Bogatan too much on this. She was in this episode a little bit, but Favreau and Sackoff have actually been in scenes together on the Clone Wars, but have never done a scene together. Like they haven't, like how we saw like Wizamo and Pedro Pascal work things out. It doesn't seem like Katie Sackoff and Favreau ever were like in a room together. It's kind of wild. Yeah, it's yeah. wild. I don't know how any of that works. Like if one of them did all of their parts, or if they both read their parts to a different actor. Yeah. Mm. Who knows, man? Yeah. That's wild. Though. We got to find somebody, at least from like a degree or two of separation, we have to be able to find somebody who's done animation for Lucasfilm. Do they work from like scratch dialogue that's in the original previs, right? That you would think, right? Somebody just like the animators like, no, you have to get the Darksaber. Okay. And then Katie Sackhoff reads her line, right? And then next person that comes in to record actually records against hers. Why don't I ask Ashley Eckstein when I'm walking around Galaxy's Oh, I'm stupid. Yes, when ask I'm the actual person. Around Galaxy's Edge with her soon. I'll ask her. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Flex. Another Clone Wars little fact here. Uh, Filoni apparently told Katie Sackhoff way back in the day when they were starting the Clone Wars, hey, you never know. If this works out, this could become live action one day. You never know. That's kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. So much of this episode. I mean, I, do you think we're going to get to a point where like, Everything like it seems like everything we're reaching like critical mass with how much Filoni is on screen and how much Filoni does everything. I enjoy the guy. He's wearing Pittsburgh Penguins memorabilia, like really clearly (laughs) have at least two things in common with him. I love hockey and Star Wars. <laughs> Let's hang out, bud. But uh, so much of this episode is, is Filoni being a nerd, but he he does mention that uh, Ahsoka is the first character to know both Yoda and Grogu. And they show that shot of her, and it's not the shot from the episode. It's like a yeah. behind-the-scenes shot of them filming the shot of her mm-hmm. leaning down and putting her head against his head. Woo. Oh, man. Yeah. Chills. That's a great little deep cut. A hell of a factoid. Yeah, that's real cool. But now there's two. Now we got Luke too. That's right. Yeah, that's true. But they show the scene uh, in in the gallery. They showed the scene in Rebels when she like turns and says goodbye to Yoda. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Brutal. We mentioned uh, on the Return of Boba Fett chapter, the tragedy, that uh, Morrison drew a lot of influence for Boba's fighting style from his like traditional Maori dance and culture. And he goes into that a little bit, which is cool because I think it, it's great to have, instead of having the producers or the stunt coordinators say, no, this is what you have to do, and maybe it not being as fluid or natural, they actually just let Tamara Morrison do a lot of movements that he was comfortable with. And they go into, they show him at one point, like on a rock doing like a traditional Maori dance which was 
yeah. amazing. It was so cool. I get the impression that Tamara was just doing it on set and Favreau saw it and was like, oh, that's dope. What is that? Yeah. And then asked the stunt coordinator if they could work it in. And that's mm-hmm. how it came to fruition. Yeah. Well, it's like a style. He, he was talking about a, a certain style of movement or fighting or whatever it was, you know, some mm-hmm. traditional Maori thing. And he called yeah, it the haka. He called it the haka and talked about how the ha is your breath. And it was cool because he was like, when he was describing it, he, he said, your breath, <gasps> you know, or something, however he did it. And then the ka is fire. And he was like, fire. It was like fire breath. <laughs> yeah. Fire breath or breathing fire. Yeah. yeah it's cool. What's funny about Boba Fett being like such a cult favorite is that there's so much to fill in with his history and how he does things. So like you can in the year 2020 or I guess in the year 2019 when they're filming this be like, well, how does Boba Fett actually fight? We don't actually know that yet. So let's just have some real life. Uh, we're having we're bringing Tamara Morrison back. Let's have him fight like Tamara Morrison would fight. And that's that's really cool. And and we've talked about it a little bit already, but Robert Rodriguez wanted Boba Fett to have different gravitas than Din and have him be just a different overall kind of concept, even though they look similar as far as their armor goes. Just have him be different than Din, because we already have a Din. And we've already had a Boba Fett, but like I said, we don't really know too much about him. So now kind of just filling that in and making Boba have that heaviness, which is which is really rad. Literally. And then they talk about his uh, the he needed his own gaffy stick because he wanted to bring in that Maori fighting, and apparently he needed it to be a little longer and slender so he could do the actual moves he wanted to. And they show him doing it. Maybe this was before he had the actual his his own custom gaffy stick, but they showed him with like a janitor's broom, yeah. <laughs> like swinging it around. I was like, oh man, that's cool. What did he say? Din's like a gunslinger and Boba's like a barbarian. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, which is cool, and you see that, you know. But I mean, Boba's a good shot too. He was using his gun, but yeah. at first, before I guess before he had that armor, that's when he was a barbarian. But when he was in the armor, then he was shooting knee rockets and knee darts and <laughs> yeah. blasters and all that, that and Kenner jetpack rockets. <laughs> <laughs> I love how he would just like demolish somebody with the stick and then shoot them just for good measure. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Everything was like smash, blast, smash, blast. <laughs> We mentioned on the breakdown of chapter 14 that it seemed like a lot of the uh, Tython battles were not in the volume. And that definitely is the case because they said they were in uh, Southern California and Simi Valley, which I feel like we just kind of recognized that it was not in the volume. So they, they confirmed that in this, that they were in Simi Valley. Said they were worried about rattlesnakes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they were they were just worried about the elements at that point. And Ming-Na Wen definitely was like, can we just go back to the volume now? I'm tired of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> worrying about all this stuff. This was officially the first time on location, right? I, I think so. I mean... I mean, they've done lots outside, but... Some of the stuff that's not in the volume is in the back lot, they say, basically. So it's still yeah. on set. Or in but the, out, yeah, out in the world. I, I guess this was the first official on location shoot. A lot of those explosions that wound up being in that chapter were special effects because of obviously you can set all of California on fire <laughs> if you're not <laughs> yeah, careful. Clearly, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, they kind of wrap up with a might be one of my favorite parts of the whole gallery is that they built uh, a couple of miniatures for this season, which were huge in scope. Gideon's light cruiser was five feet long and they built that fully built details uh, like old school. So, so cool. I was just going to say old school. Yeah. Very old school, only better. (laughs) Yeah. But they filmed that thing and got the right lighting. And I look at it in a total different way now. I don't know why when we saw it 
this year or this season, I didn't really think if was whether that was digital or practical. And now when I see it, I'm like, yeah, that is so much more crisp and I don't know, angular is the right word. It just seems so natural now when I see it. It feels tangible. I had hoped that they wouldn't stop with just the Razor Crest in season one, that they would continue to build miniatures and, and take it back and and then incorporate that into all the new groundbreaking digital stuff that they're doing, which is exactly what they did with this because they, they built this model and they shot it. But then they also, Nick, like you're probably about to say, the all the stuff in the chop fields where we find Mayfeld in chapter 15, all those TIE fighters piled up, those were practical models built, but then scanned and put on the volume. Yeah, that's so cool. They're doing what was like kind of like predicted mm-hmm. where everybody, like Ryan, you talk about all the time, just got, everybody got too familiar and got too excited about using fully digital stuff 20 years ago. Yeah. Using it before it was really ready to be used. And now we're, we're bringing balance to the force. Yeah. <laughs> Literally like here by doing both. And it's so sweet. Yeah. That's that. Those two things wound up really, that's so impressive. And it seems like not Gideon's light cruiser. Cause I know they did that with the razor crest in season one, but that whole chop field, what they did there, they just like incepted themselves with revolutionary stuff you know (laughs) like that is huge what they can do from here on out again i didn't really think about whether the dark troopers were cgi or not and they weren't their joints and like some of their like you know pieces of their necks and stuff were cgi but those were actors in suits which all choreographed yeah to to march and move and yeah so sick real impressive I really like that. And then kind of just to wrap up the practical versus CGI aspect, it sounded like they had a hard time really uh, getting Jabba's palace, getting the quality of it to be what it needed to be on the volume. So they just built it. Yeah, they talked about the walls and angles and just all the different. It was just too many. there There were too many pieces of the puzzle to put the palace together to just mm-hmm. put it up on the screens in a convincing yeah. way yeah. but seeing them all walk around in it like no. just oh dude can you imagine walking into that man, room man you could but you you it's like we were given a chance through watching this the gallery to to kind of get that feeling and experience because every person that you saw on screen walking around in there you were like yep that's i imagine that's what it does feel like to stand there <laughs> and they all were dude. just talking about it like uh yeah, we just made job. We just made it. We built it, yeah. and we're standing in it now. Dude, think about Tamura Morrison and Ming Now Wen walking in and walking up on that throne and sitting down. Yeah, it's so you know cool. what I mean? Like that feeling. Oh, man, I did have a question. I questioned in my head: Did Peyton redirect that? You know, because there's a post credit scene. Oh yeah, and yeah. it was mostly a Boba Fett thing, but it seemed like Peyton Reed uh, directed that. And just shout out to him. And I know we haven't even really barely mentioned Rick Famuyiwa or Bryce Dallas Howard. I mean, all, all of these directors are crushing it and learning, and you just know they care. And I could see Rick Famuyiwa getting a series eventually. He he knows what he's doing. He's mm-hmm. I'm giving him the green light. Give him a series. He's he's crushing it because yeah. he also I think he mentions on this he's the only other person besides Favreau and Filoni that wrote an episode yet so yeah good for him he's got the Star Wars stamp of approval from me he's definitely got that like slow intimate character dialogue thing in a way that a lot of the other directors on the series don't mm-hmm. it's not that they don't have it he just has it on another level yeah. it seems like that that whole thing with with Mayfeld was like in Tarantino ballpark yeah for me you know what I mean Oh, last one before we leave the Den of Antiquities. 
Very cool thing. If you don't know, there's an infamous photo of a boom mic operator in the original trilogy sweating in the sun, and he's wearing only a pair of pink booty shorts. Uh, and unfortunately, he recently <laughs> passed away. So there was a little uh, bit of honor shown by another boom mic operator in, in this gallery episode. But he's not as provocative. He's totally just wearing jeans and a shirt and put a pair of pink shorts over. But that's a good homage, I feel like. Try harder. Come on. <laughs> Get more naked, dude. <laughs> Commit. <laughs> I'm sure there's some rules where he yeah. can't just walk into set wearing only <laughs> booty shorts. I love you. I know. We didn't put out a poll because it was it was tough to kind of pick a few here, but it's not like a action packed bunch of scenes to pick from. It's different, but nonetheless, we have kind of a few favorites here that Nick put down and. We could do some honorable mentions or we could just each pick our favorite. Some of them we mentioned already, right? Yeah, I kind of, I definitely covered mine. I really, I really do think my favorite moment, honestly, was watching John Leguizamo just find that character on camera live in front of you. It was just such a cool moment. Going back to the lightheartedness and just the fun everyone is having, I really like towards the beginning of this episode and uh, the, the episode that Favreau directed, he kind of was just giving Amy Sedaris a little bit of a tough time just being like, you know, Amy's going to throw the scene off and just if you're on the crew, pre- be prepared to adjust. And it's kind of just messing with Amy because, you know, she could take it because she's a professional funny person. So just Favreau just doing that little like, hey, I know we're working here, but here's a little jab at you just to lighten things up, which I, I really did appreciate that. and. Again, anything with Amy Sedaris, I'll, I'm here for. You're a fan. I feel like Favreau, when I mentioned earlier what it's like to be on a film set, I feel like Favreau is one of those very respectable directors that like we we see him in these settings. We're like, God, he is the sweetest guy. Like, it must be such a pleasure to work with him. I feel like he's one of the or, or he's the type of director that like has the one person that is it's so unfortunate that that's that's their job because they're the one that he is like I'm doing hand motion with like a really stern face right now to move, come over here and they go into yeah. whatever room and he loses his mind on, you know what I mean like yeah there is not a film director per, maybe there is maybe but I don't think there is a film director producer person that doesn't like lose their mind when something's not right or something goes wrong you know they all do like granted i'm not a movie star i haven't worked with a whole lot but i've you know been on sets and worked with directors and i've i've never seen one not do that like when something's (laughs) wrong be the worst version of that of their self you know yeah Uh, but i feel like favreau throws the vibe of like you're not going to see it but but yeah. some some poor bastard gets yeah. the wrath of Favreau for sure. I mean, he's a big dude. I bet he can he can yeah. he can menace. You know. So I'm just thinking of like he fun jokes, and then behind closed doors, he probably just you don't want to be around that shit. No, <laughs> he's got a puppy that he just punches. <laughs> it's like close that door real quick. <laughs> My favorite stuff in this, not on like a a behind-the-scenes film nerd level at all. A little bit, but mostly just, like, character stuff. I love watching Ahsoka come to life, and I love watching the enthusiasm that Rosario brought to the set and the role. I especially like how she was working out with the fight choreographer, kind of the fluidity of her motion, referencing different martial arts style. It's tough to nail it down to, like, one moment, but there is one. She's kind of doing this, like, fluid, almost, like, crab-walky kind of thing. And in that moment, I was like just really loving the wardrobe, the choreography and the makeup, like everything. It just was like, damn, dude, you're just like really watching it happen right now. 
in real time. Like she's coming to life as Ahsoka. And that got me emotionally, got me stoked on like a filmmaking level, thinking about, you know, like anything, we make music, we, we watch a song come together, we hear it come together, you know, in the Pro Tools session as we start to add tracks. Watching that visually, seeing that character just like appear was goosebump inducing like it is right now. I'm just referencing it. So that, that was my favorite. Yeah, I think it's it's just cool too. Like in a sense, you know, I think Rosario Dawson was always like fan cast because of people kind of imagining that that's what adult live action Ahsoka really looks like. But it's cool that she has some physicality to her. She's able to do most of that stuff. You know, they showed it actually in this where she was doing a lot of those fight scenes and a little bit more of the physicality because she's not the youngest person. You know, she's kind of our age. So it's good to have someone in there who could still is the right age to do most of that stuff still. She seems like she's in shape. I, I can't say enough. I'm super impressed and I'm excited to see where that Ahsoka series goes. We tried to pick some favorite quotes here as well. And there are some good ones and then we'll wrap with kind of our favorite. Ryan, you want to? You want to read through these and share the quote, dude? Yeah, sure. And since we're not actually reading from like a a poll. Yeah. Carl Weathers, a.k.a. Dylan, a.k.a. Apollo Creed. We're dealing with Star Wars and there's a level of expertise, a level of awareness about an audience that you have to have, which ties into just how they really are considering fans and like what fans want to see. And somehow they're just doing it so perfectly it's crazy like what's the magic juice that they're drinking that makes this like not all the hate-filled shit that you know i don't know it's just it's nuts the good juice that they're outspoken and they're saying like yes basically saying this is fan service what we're doing you know like they're just basically saying it but also we're nailing it you know there's 9.9 on imdb (laughs) all right next quote It was incredibly important to Dave Filoni in particular that the audience that grew up with Ahsoka felt like that what we did in The Mandalorian was respecting what had come before. That's Richard Bluff, VFX supervisor. Again, just all about respecting the fans and what the fans want to see and how they envisioned Ahsoka to look and and doing justice to that. It's crazy. There are moments where I just stare at her and I'm like, wow, she just looks like this thing I've drawn. Dave Filoni <laughs> cut to the first ever sketch of Ahsoka Tano. Very cool. Love that. I mean, come on. Imagine that feeling. Like, I, I guess that sort of in, in the music world could equate to like a, a hit song as, as a songwriter, like not someone in a band, you know, right? So like you're in a band, you're all working together, you make the song and then one of them blows up. It's like, I don't know. It's That's so cool. But imagine, it's, see if you follow me here writing a song that another artist performs, you know, like you wrote a song, it gets cut on a T-Swift record and it goes number one and it changes your entire life. And it's this thing you drew that is now real, right? Because you just recorded like a demo of it and they liked it and they went and recorded and produced a full version of the song. I kind of equate it to that and I can't imagine what it was like for him to see it. He spent 10 years seeing Ahsoka animated and and that evolved. So, you know, we've talked about how much better the, the animation got over the years with Clone Wars. So this just must have been next level, dude. I can't imagine seeing something that you have poured your heart and soul into, like being the creator of one of the most beloved characters of all time in Star Wars. And then like you just step on set and there she is. You can shake her hand. You can put your arm around dude. her. You know, you can <laughs> have a conversation with her. It's just crazy. Um, All right, last quote. I should say before I read this quote, it is so radical what he's about to say. It's just, it's chills and every, all the reasons why we do this podcast, just like loving the shit out of Star Wars and the people who make it. This quote here is a message to all 
the angry trolls yeah, on the internet. Absolutely. When we do recreate things like Jabba's Palace, we show it proper respect. And not just the respect for making it look like the place, but for the people that worked on it. For the people that were part of the legacy of Lucasfilm. They are the reason we have jobs, living up to that expectation and living up to the creativity. Dave Filoni. Charlie from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> he just fully got the keys. <laughs> and he's, yeah. he is doing, doing things that, right. That is some knowledge to <laughs> dropped on you. That was in the, in the running for a quote of the week. Yeah. Fully deserving. I mean, it just goes to, you know, we've said it here and, and we're, we're seeing these two directors and writers care for Star Wars and everyone who's making it cares for Star Wars. And we know that they are reacting to the pulse of fandom. And to me, I just see that as a opening cry that like positivity needs to take over Star Wars conjecture. If they're listening to fans, which it seems like they are, we know how the internet works. The, the angry, loud people get the room. So yep. we're, we're adults. We don't have to like everything. Some stuff might not resonate as much as other things, but we can't just be waiting for perfection and waiting for things that aren't going to happen and, and then be super negative on the internet. Just be positive, be supportive, know that these people care and expect more. Like it's not about just accepting whatever happens, but react positively to things that you really like so they know we could get more of them. Yeah. And just shut up about things you don't because you're not going to, yeah. you're not going to change it. You, you don't. Yeah, exactly. You're, you don't make it. You're not the writer. You're not the producer. You're mm -hmm. not the financier at Disney. So shut up because all you're doing is blowing hot negative air into the world that is going, no, it's doing nothing. It goes nowhere. It doesn't change anything. You're feeding your own negative feedback loop. Whereas positive reinforcement for the things we love about Star Wars creates a positive environment and, and yeah. more cool shit gets made. Filoni and Favreau, I would agree, Nick, that they, they have their, their finger on the pulse of fandom, but I think so much of what works about this is their fandom. I think yeah. it's almost, it's more like their fandom is our fandom. And so it just works like mm -hmm. they're celebrating Boba Fett, Yoda and Ahsoka Tano right now. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like that's where this like all started from. And those are things that they love like passionately about Star Wars. So they're just doing justice and we're all realizing, oh yeah, I love the shit out of those three things too, yeah. or whatever else they, they bring into it. So I fully agree that I, I think the Mandalorian is a revelation in Star Wars and that it has been this positive environment, but I, I really hope that it keeps going that way with all the new series and everything they've announced, you know? Yeah. I mean, you have to think that eventually we're all going to want new stories. This all still exists within something very familiar. Yeah. But if we react, you know, and I hate saying we, but if people react negatively to anything that's new, we're just going to be going back to this time period over and over. And then guess what? Those negative people are going to just be like, I'm over this. So yeah. we can't just go down this this road of constant negativity because eventually it echoes back and the people who don't accept new things are eventually just going to not like the things that, you know, the third time we're going back to Tatooine in a different series and be right. like, I don't like this anymore, you know? And it's like, well, because we listen to these jerks who don't accept new things or don't understand new things. So it's just the internet. This has nothing to do with Star Wars. It's just the internet and how people think. And it's unfortunate, but... There's plenty of people out there who love Star Wars, obviously, so they, they're just not vocal. It seems like the slate of things they've announced and coming just Disney Plus alone maybe is for now meant to sort of 
quell that desire to live in this timeline, you know, in this original trilogy post Return of the Jedi timeline through the shows because, and I think we all will hope that this is the case, the features that they're working on are going to really start telling new stories. They're going to be in other parts yeah. of the galaxy, other time, other, you know, future, past, whatever it's going to be. I think that's the space that the new features are going to live in. I mean, mm-hmm. who knows? Speculating as we don't do here. But I, I agree with everything you're saying about the positivity. I think it's just, uh, I think Mandalorian is so killer because it's just encouraged that positivity so much. I hate, to, <laughs> I hate to close with something negative, but we haven't mentioned, well, maybe we mentioned it a little bit, but we, we have to point out the fact that they, they didn't talk at all about how they did the Luke scene. And I wanted that so badly. I was, I was checking the time as it was getting towards the end and the music started to change. I wanted Mark Hamill to show up. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, wait, this this is over. There's no way this is over. Do you think, and then they ended it. Do you think that, um, in keeping with the theory that it was only one episode possibly due to COVID that maybe honestly, it was like, they didn't shoot it. Like they didn't, they didn't have the B-roll of that stuff happening because it, it had already been shut down. It was like closed set. Mark Hamill's in his 60s. COVID's happening. Like, bro, no one's on set. No no yeah. one's allowed to be near this place when he shows and up. And just to yeah. keep it from leaking too. Might have been. Yeah. yeah, maybe they didn't shoot any B-roll. Yeah, I bet that was a huge factor as well. See, not negative. We found a way to make it all work out. <laughs> from a certain point of view, we worked it in. All right. Take us out with a quote of the week, Ryan Key. Okay, another one from Holy Floney. <laughs> As it should be when we're talking about behind the scenes uh, special. But what a what an amazing quote and just, just shows like how deep it runs for him. Uh, this is sort of like a mission statement for the whole project for him, you know, or I don't know, his life, I guess. But he says, never stop learning. That's the way of the Jedi. Never stop learning. Dave Filoni. I live the way of the Jedi. If I'm not learning something, I I feel stagnant in life. Our friend Charles Beecham, who was on the show, was the uh, page turners they were. Episode where we had a couple of our friends who were Marvel comic uh, editors on the show. Charles got me a Christmas present and it was just so kind and awesome. It just showed up in the mail with an Amazon gift note. And it was like, it actually made me cry tears of genuine, just like, I can't believe the kindness of this man. But he sent me a book called The Jedi Mind, and uh, it's like basically a, a book about mindfulness and meditation and stuff through the eyes of the Jedi and like the practices of the Jedi, and it's super cool. So check it out. It's called The Jedi Mind. It's got a little Yoda on the cover. Very cool. Shout out to Charles Beecham. What is, what is it? I never stop learning, but I never stop learning specifically about Star Wars. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that counts. Yeah, that counts. 100%. Oh, there's some inception there, I think. Some Star Wars Inception. All right. We're done. Unless you're a patron, you can catch us on the post show. We're going to talk about our favorite moments throughout the year, and we're actually going to read some favorite moments, probably all of them, to be honest, from everyone who who hit us up on Instagram and Twitter with those responses earlier today. Speaking of, if you want to find the podcast on social media, you can find us on Instagram at ThankTheMakerPod, on Twitter at ThankTheMaker. My personal account is at Adam the Skull on both those things. The Segway King remains on his throne. Hello. <laughs> My social webs are at William Ryan Key. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Nick Bayside. And uh, should mention again that Patreon's getting a whole facelift. It's going to be way more interactive. We're going to do way more hanging out and watching movies together and all that type of stuff. And you can see all of our dumb faces. 
I love seeing your dumb faces. The highlight of my week. <laughs> and then we'll be launching merch soon after, if not along with it. We'll see how the next few days shake out. But we got some great designs. We do keep saying merch, but you guys, when it happens, all of you out there that have supported us and been so kind, we, we're really doing you a favor with these designs. That's just, <laughs> we're just, we're really hooking you up because they're so good. It's good stuff. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. Everyone on Patreon, catch us in the post show. And until next time, may the force be with you. Thank you.